0: open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2, and then I'll explain to you where we are because we were not here last night, last week in this series. We've been talking about a prevailing prayer. Prevailing prayer is simply prayer that gets answered, and we've looked at and seen, and again, we'll see a little bit tonight. God tells us to pray. He calls us to pray. I mean, very clearly, without complications, He said, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door be opened to you. It's from one end of this Bible to the other, God telling us to come and ask of Him. He would not tell us to ask of Him if He didn't plan to answer us and give us what we ask. Now, there are limits to that and parameters to that which we will get into. But we've spent a lot of time on that. And so what we've been looking at is that God's intention is that our prayers get answered. It, It shouldn't be this idea of, you know, we throw a bunch of prayers up and hopefully something sticks. Prayer ought to get answered. In fact, it ought to be the exception when we don't see the answer. And if, we, if, if we're not seeing the answer, then we ought to not settle for that and say, God, why? What is wrong? Why am I not seeing answers to this prayer? Because we're used to and expecting to see answers. And unfortunately, that's not so often the case of the church, especially in the United States, and it's not so often in our lives. And so we're looking at what the Bible says about prayer. And we've looked at some principles of prayer. We've already looked at the first principle, which is the basic one, the foundation of it. And there really are all kind of offshoots off that, which is that when we pray, we need to believe that we hear that God's answered it when we pray not we, we ask him see whether we get the answer and then believe it that's the order the world operates in the world operates in the order of I ask for something and then I believe I have it when I, when I get it but the Bible teaches us just the opposite. Abraham, in, in, in Romans 4, it says, he believed in order to receive. He believed first that he had it before he actually had it in his possession. And we saw that in Mark eleven twenty three and 24, Jesus said, whatsoever things you desire when you pray, believe that that's when you received it. Not when it's in your hands. It's when you ask God. Why? It's very simple. It's a matter of trust. If God's worthy to be trusted... And if we trust him enough to take him at his word, so that when we ask him for it and we believe he's done it, then in our heart, and our mind, it's already ours, even though we don't see the manifestation of it. So when you hand that $2.47 to the girl at the first window at McDonald's, you know that that that, that Big Mac and French fries and Coke are yours at the second window. Because if they're not there, you're going to make some noise about it because you expect it to be there because in essence, you received it at the first window even though it's not physical. If we can do that at McDonald's or Burger King or wherever you go or Dunkin' Donuts or whatever it is, if you can have enough confidence in that little girl with her uniform on at that first window to hand to her your precious hard-earned money believing that that Prize that you're asking for that food is at the other end why can't we do it with God? why can't we do it with God who created the universe with his words his words he cannot lie his words are creative power the stars and the moon and everything is in its place functioning perfectly so much that our scientists base time on it and God's the one that not only put it there with his words but it's kept there by the power of his words and we can't trust him, but we can trust that sweet little thing with the little hat on and the uniform who stuck her hat out and said, $2.47, please. We can trust her. We can trust our employer that says, you know, you put in your 40 hours this week, and I'll pay you at the end of the time when you put your 40. We can trust them, but we can't trust God's Word who's, who's, who's laid the foundation of the earth. And in reality, you are trusting it because none of us have ever seen heaven yet. Unless maybe it was in a dream. And yet we're all counting on the fact that we're going to go there. Why? Because God said, if you give your life to Christ, I will give you eternal life. So your salvation, your eternal salvation is hanging on the trustworthiness of God's word. Why can't we trust him for the other things that he said? Ask and you'll receive. And that's really the foundation principle. We also looked at principle number two, which is you must be specific. Specific, not pacific. Specific. You must be specific. Ask for specific things. And that's also an outgrowth of faith. Because the reason we're so general sometimes is we're trying to give God a bigger target to hit. Because we really don't believe, if I ask Him for something specific, that He can do that. Even though He's got the moon exactly... What Do you realize that the sun... Is exa- the, the earth is exactly in the orbiter, if it were, and don't, I'm not a physicist, so I can't prove this, but I have read that if this earth was very far closer to the sun on the closest part of its orbit, it would burn up. And if it was very far away. I mean, not very far. There's not a large margin for error. If it was much farther away on its highest place away from the sun, it would, it would freeze. So God has this earth exactly where it needs to be. And he has it tilted in such a way that we have seasons so that we can have times of refreshing for the ground and then times of blooming. He's, he's, he orchestrated all that with just those words, let there be. Precisely. And we don't think he can answer our specific prayers. Principle number three is knowing who, to whom you're praying. Jesus, when his disciples came to him and said, Master, teach us to pray. And he taught them what we call the Lord's Prayer. He says, Our Father, who art in heaven. He didn't say, Come to God. He didn't say, Come to the Creator. He didn't say, Come to the Judge of all man. He didn't say, Come to the eternal being. He didn't say, Come to the God of Israel. He is all those things, but he wanted to introduce them to the key, the key to his getting his prayers answered, which is, I come to my Father. And that implies a relationship. And out of that relationship, we've begun to see certain factors. We saw, first of all, that because He's our Father, we see that He cares about us. He's involved in our affairs. Matthew chapter 6, we saw that He's watching over us to the point that He knows what you need before you ask. We saw in Matthew chapter 7 that we can trust Him to act directly. He won't play games with us. If you ask Him for a loaf of bread, He's not going to give you a rock. That We can trust Him because He's a Father who cares about us. We can have confidence based on knowing the character of God. We looked last time at 1 John chapter 5, uh, We're where he says that this is the confidence that we have before him. This is the confidence that we have before him. That if we ask anything that's in accordance with his will, he hears us. That means he's listening. God's always listening. See, the problem the church has is we govern whether God's listening. We govern whether God's heard by our emotions, by our feelings. Well, I, you know, I f- oh, it was so good. I felt the presence of God. Well, that's wonderful when you feel about the presence of God. But what about when you don't? Does that mean God's only there when you feel His presence? Oh, I know God heard my prayers. I know God heard my prayers. Why do you know that? Well, I felt He did. But the Bible doesn't tell you to base our confidence in anything about God, about what we feel or what we think or certainly what we see, because the whole essence of faith is I believe He heard me and I believe He's answered me and I don't see yet. So I can't be basing my confidence that God's heard my prayer because I see the answer. That's nice when you do. That's obvious for the proof He heard you. But the Bible is teaching us that in order to see it, you're going to have to believe it before you see it, which means you've got to have confidence He heard you before you see it. So you can't put your confidence in your senses when it comes to God. You can't put your confidence in your emotions. Do you notice how fickle your emotions are? How easily they change? They change with the weather in many people. I mean, I, I, you can just kind of feel it in people today. Well, last, well the last few weeks we've been spoiled in beautiful, glorious, sunshiny days. You heap The people you meet, somebody you know, maybe in a coffee shop or somewhere in church, oh, what a great week it's been. What a great weather we've had. Isn't that wonderful? I haven't heard anybody say, isn't it great it's raining finally? Wow, we're getting long 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 rain. Oh, isn't it wonderful? And it's going to rain tomorrow too. Isn't that exciting? No, I mean, it's, the sun doesn't come out and, you know, they, in fact in nursing homes they call it the sundowner syndrome. They found that when the sun is not out, that people with, that have, uh, that are elderly with dementia and those kind of diseases that affects their emotions. And well, it affects us to some degree, but with them, it's much more aggravated. It's much more accelerated. And so, so, but we're moved by whether the sun's out or whether it's bright. We're moved by whether it's a nice warm day or if it's cold and snowy. We're moved by those things all so easily. It's, it's fine, you know, it is, to be, be moving enough to put a coat on when it's cold. But, but, but Paul wasn't moved by persecution. What are we going to do if persecution comes? What are we going to do if it really gets tough? What are we going to do if it it rains for four successive days? What are we going to do if everything just doesn't go right tomorrow? What are we going to do? That's why the, the psalmist says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not I feel like it. I will. And... You've got to know, if you read the Old Testament, everything didn't go well for King David all the time. And I believe that those psalms came out of his heart in the difficult times, out of his heart. In some of the psalms we have are as a result of the time when his own son rebelled against him, caused a rebellion to the point that the king was kicked out of the nation that God had appointed him as king over. And not only that, mocked his faith. And some of the most heart touching psalms came out of King David's heart in those difficult times. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be on my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, not in the weather, not in how I feel. So Jesus was telling them that the secret of his his prayer life was he had confidence in the one to whom he was praying because he was his father who loved him and cared about him. And we saw that, that John was telling us, and this is the confidence that we have before him, that when we ask anything that's in accordance, anything that's in accordance with his will, he hears us, he's listening. And then it tells us something about his character. And this we also know, that if he hears your request, we have it. So when you make your request to God, he's not going to sit back and say, hmm, I wonder, have they been good? I wonder whether I ought to give this. He's already made up his mind that if you ask him, you have it. Say, well, what if I ask amiss? Well, we'll get into some of those. But it starts with confidence. It starts with confidence. Okay. Now let's go over. We're going to continue about confidence. Confidence to come before God. There's confidence that he's listening But one of the biggest obstacles I believe Christians have in their prayer life is they don't have confidence when they come and spend time in prayer. I mean, if you really knew, think about this for a second. If you really knew that God was listening to you, to your every words when you prayed, if you really knew and were convinced that not only was he listening, he was listening attentively and planning how to answer your prayers. Would you have trouble coming to him and spending some time with him? I don't think so, because it's not as if we don't have needs. And if you don't have any needs, you certainly know people that do. And so it's not because we have a lack of subjects to bring to him. The problem is twofold. We don't have confidence that he's really listening because we don't feel it. We don't feel it. And we don't have confidence that He's really going to do it. And we don't have confidence. That's what we've already talked about. But the other aspect of this is we don't have Why would God listen to me? I mean, I know myself. Why would God listen to me? Well, that's what we're going to look at tonight. Confidence, in, confidence for us to come to God, just as we are. Okay. Let's go... Because without confidence, we're not going to expect that God's going to hear us and answer us. The other thing is when we don't have confidence to come before him, I found in my own prayer life, I don't know about yours, but when I'm lacking confidence, then most of the subject of my prayer life is me. God, please forgive me for this. God, I haven't done this right. God, I need to get this straight. God, please give me understanding. It's all about me, and there's never any time to pray for anything that's of God's heart or God's concern, because I think the issue is always me when I come before God. That's when I don't have confidence in Him, not me. See, the enemy wants you to try to have confidence in yourself. Well, you know, I just don't, I don't, you know, ever, ever, you know... Wait, you have a, a day when you just, you know, you, did every, you, you think you did everything right before God. Well, I prayed today. I maybe done a little fasting, you know, and I, I gave some money to somebody that needed money. And, you know, and I read my Bible and I did all the things I know to do. And now it's time to come to prayer. And Scott, God, oh, yes, I can't wait to get the prayer because I'm going to talk to God. My confidence isn't in him then. My confidence is in me and how obedient I've been that day. What about those days when I didn't do everything I thought I should do? or I didn't do them as well as I thought I should have done. Does that mean God turned a deaf ear away from me? If so, then my whole basis of confidence before God is me. And that's entirely contrary to the Word of God. There's an aspect of it which we'll look at. But we've got to establish the foundation first of what is our confidence in. Our confidence is in His character, His nature, and not just in His nature and character, but it's in what He's already done. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 18. Well, let's go back to verse 14. For He Himself, Christ, is our peace, who has made both into one. That's the Jews and the Gentiles. He's broken down the middle wall of separation. That's the wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity of the that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinance so as to create in himself one new man from the two thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body. I used to read these verses and think what it was saying, and it is saying this, that what Christ has done is he's reconciled the Jews and Gentiles because he's broken down the barrier that the Jews had in their mind because Gentiles were outside the covenant that God had given them with Abraham and they were not part of the Abrahamic covenant and therefore they were, they were Gentiles, which means foreigners, foreigners from the, from the promises of God, and that's what Paul talks about earlier. Christ broke that wall down because salvation is no longer through the law. Salvation now comes through faith in Christ. And that's a, he's available to the Jews and the Gentiles, and so he's bringing them together. And, and that is what this verse is talking about, but it goes beyond that. Because it's not just saying that he's brought the Jews and Gentiles together, he's brought them together, look at this, that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, having put to death the enmity, so he reconciled the Jews to God, and he's reconciled the Gentiles to God. But he's reconciled us to God, bringing peace. Romans chapter five, after going through teaching about the faith of Abraham, which is the basis of our what is describing how faith works, so that we can understand when Paul's talking about faith in Christ, what he means. He says in chapter five, therefore, having peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When you come to Christ, God's declared peace with you. Later, Romans 5 says that before before we were in Christ, we were God's enemies. And you've heard me talk about this before. We're not as enemies in the sense that we consciously thought, you know, I hate God, boy, I don't like God. But we were enemies in the sense that we set up our own kingdom called rebellion i didn't set up a kingdom oh yes you did it's called i self me mine my right to decide what i'm going to do it's right that i have to say no to god let me ask you this question have you always instantly obeyed everything you knew god wanted you to do from the time you were born then you're in rebellion against god you have committed rebellion against god rebellion is setting up your own kingdom of which you're king You have the right, you make the final choice, I make the final choice of whether I'm going to obey his commandment or not. And under the Bible, that's called rebellion. That's establishing my own kingdom. Now don't get scared. That's just facing where we are. That's how God sees sin. See, God doesn't see sin in terms of, well, I lied or I, you know, I took something, you know, I did sinful acts. Those are sinful acts. But the root of all of them is self. So you can go through a day where you did everything perfectly, but you did it for your own motive. That's still sin in God's eyes. Because the underlying purpose of what you're doing is to exalt you and to lift you up and to put confidence in you. And, And we'll get into this later on Sundays, but that's what the purpose of the law was, to expose that in us. Because that's why Christ came. Christ came to pay for that rebellion. He came as the second Adam. The first Adam rebelled and so God sent a second Adam, his own son, Jesus Christ. And where the first Adam rebelled, the second Adam submitted and was obedient. And so that's the peace that's been declared towards us, but that peace is in Christ. Keep going. That see, so This is why it's important to just hear, well, God's reconciled us to him, to just hear that, that, that God's given us confidence so that we can come to Him, without knowing why, then you're not going to have the fullness of that confidence. Okay. Verse 17. He came and preached to you who were far away, that's the Gentiles, and to you who were near, that's the Jews. Verse 18. For through Him, we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. We both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Go over to chapter 3. Verse 8. To me, who am the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Christ Jesus, the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ our Lord, in whom... In Christ, we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. We have boldness and access with confidence through faith in Him. Not through faith in ourselves. Not through faith in how good I've been. Not in through faith in how faithful I've been. But through faith in how faithful Christ was. How faith and how obedient He was. Faith in what He's done. His faithfulness is what I put my faith in. Not my faithfulness. I used to spend, years ago, I struggled so much in my prayer life, especially my morning prayer time. And I would go out and walk the streets where we lived. It was one long street. And I'd get up like at five in the morning and just walk out there, sometimes freezing cold. And I don't know how long, this must have been a mile, I just know by time. And I would spend the first, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes going over everything I'd done wrong the day before. i say, like, God, I'm sorry. You know, I know, I don't know why you would listen to me. I failed at this. I haven't, I tried this, but I didn't do this right. All this stuff I go over. And I did this for a long time. And then I wondered why I had trouble with the rest of the prayer time. Until finally one day I was just really steeped in this stuff. And I heard God speak to me so Clearly. And what he said to me, and I knew what he meant when he said, he said, Will you let me be God. And what I was doing is I was acting as my own judge and my own jury and my own executioner. And then I discovered in an old pamphlet of Brother Hagan talking about prayer where he described how he used to do the, he used to do the same thing. He used to spend time just going back over what he'd done wrong the day before and all this stuff. And he said, no wonder it robbed robbed him of his confidence before God. You understand what the Bible says? Satan is the accuser of the brethren. And do you know who the number one person he accuses you to? You. What right do you think God would listen to you? You're just some lowly worm. You tried, oh, your intentions are good, but how well are you doing? Now, I'm not encouraging us to be faithless. I'm not encouraged. we don't need to be encouraged to do that anyway. But I'm trying to show you what the Bible says because we're going to get to a scripture that tells you what to do with it. So, all right. So we're to boldness and confidence. The word boldness there is a Greek word paraseia. It means freedom to speak openly. It also can mean confidence in a time of trouble, absence of fear. But I believe in these contexts, because there are several other ways this is used, that what the word means is freedom to speak openly. You're coming before a God who's holy, who's righteous, who's pure, who knows everything. He knows everything about you, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever done, every motive, every, the slightest little thing of your heart is completely exposed and open to Him. And He's saying we can come with confidence and speak openly before a God who knows everything about us. Let's go over and look at Hebrews chapter 2. Now, the first chapter is talking about Christ and who He is and and the plan of salvation. Chapter 2 begins to bring its focus into us. We'll start in verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children, that's us, have partaken of flesh and blood, we've got bodies on, he himself, Christ, likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through the fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. For indeed, he does not give aid to angels, but he does give aid or help to the seed of Abraham. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God. We've talked about a high priest before. A high priest is an intermediary. An intermediary is someone that represents you to someone else. When I was a lawyer and I would go into court, I was an intermediary. I the, my client could not speak unless they, they didn't couldn't just walk in there. I had to represent them, and I, and, and I did that because in part I had in part I hopefully in part I had a better knowledge of the law than they did. I had a better understanding and had learned and developed better skills at presenting their case to the judge. But not only that, I was licensed by the court to appear before the judge on their behalf. So I had a right to represent them to the judge. I was an inter- They couldn't just do that themselves. So I was an intermediary. I represented them. And in the Old Testament, the priests served in that role. The average person could not come and make a sacrifice to God because that was the acceptable manner of worship under the Old Testament. The average person could not come and make a sacrifice for their sins. They had to bring their animal, they had to bring their offering to somebody that had the authority from God, the right from God to represent God to the people and the people to God. Over in chapter 5, it talks about the qualifications of a priest. It said it had to be chosen among a man. Why? Because he represented that, could then represent man to God, because God could not understand, God does not understand what you go through. He can't understand weakness. I mean, he can understand it intellectually, but he's never experienced weakness. He can't, he can sympathize with it but he can't empathize with it. There's a difference. Sympathy is when you feel for somebody. Empathy is when you feel along with them. And some people have gone through tragedies and the only people that can fully empathize with them in that tragedy is somebody else that's really gone through it. You come to them and say, Brother, I know how you feel. And unless you've been through it, they're going to say to you, or they may not say it, but they're thinking, No, you don't. No, you don't. And so God the Father could not empathize with us. And so what He did is He sent His Son to take on flesh so that He could become a priest that could understand what your weaknesses are like and my weaknesses are like. Why? Because it says in chapter 4, He was tempted in all ways just as you and I are. So a priest had to come from among the people that he represented so that he could be one of them and represent them to God. But then on the other problem was, then the other role of the priest is to represent God back to man. And the problem with that, to do that you got to be like God. And the priests weren't. So they had to they had to every day make sacrifices for their own sins before they could represent God to the people. That's under the old system. That's under the tabernacle method of worship that God prescribed for Moses. And so verse 17 says, in order, to be a, 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 in order to be a faithful priest, to be this mediator, he had to take on flesh and blood so that he could be like us, who he was representing to God the Father. So that he could be a merciful And faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation or payment or satisfaction for the sins of the people. For in that he himself suffered being tempted, he is able to come to the aid of those, that's us, who are tempted." Therefore, holy brethren, chapter 3, verse 1, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him, who appointed him as Moses was faithful in all his house. So although he took on flesh and blood, that at times was weary. You can almost sense it in the Gospels. You can almost sense his frustration sometimes, especially with his own men. How long do I have to put up with you? Oh, you of little faith. Peter, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I mean, you were out on the water. You were doing it, man. You were out there. Why did you get distracted by the wind and the waves? Why did you doubt? And the frustration at the Pharisees, you can feel. Well, we know in one case, he got mad. He walks into the temple and he sees the money changers. They had a right to be there because their responsibility was to take the coinage from whatever nation people had and convert it into the temple coin because the temple had its own currency. And what was wrong wasn't that they were doing it. What was wrong was they were exacting a high profit from doing it. So if you wanted to change your... It was a rate of exchange. If you wanted to change your $20 bill... For $20 worth of temple money, it was going to cost you $40, or something like that. And so they made an exorbitant living off of this. That's what he was upset at. They were taking the the position that God had given them for serving God in worship, and they were using it for their own profit. And people do that today. They worship God for a profit. They serve God for a profit instead of serving God for the sake of who He is. God will take care of you and God will bless you, but it's the motive of the heart. What did He do? He went in there and He took took a braid and He braided it into a whip and He went turning the money changers over. He wasn't just... This is the lamb of the God that we picture with the lamb over His neck that butter could hardly melt in His mouth. He was angry, yelling at the top of His lungs, passionate, So he had emotion. He could get frustrated. He could get angry. The Bible says it's not sinful to get angry because it says in in Ephesians, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, resolve it. So he had emotion. He was real. He got tired. He actually slept. Imagine that. He slept on the back of a boat in a storm. So Jesus slept. He wept. He cried. That means he was hurt for Mary and Martha and the loss that they just suffered, knowing that in a few moments he was raising their brother from the dead. Tempted in all ways as we are. Yet, verse 2 says, he was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses was faithful in all his house. And then to verse 6. Well, it goes to verse 5. For Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which will be spoken afterwards. But Christ was faithful as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Now go down... Let's go over to chapter 3, verse... Oh, all right, okay. Let's go over to chapter 4, verse 14. So we've seen that Jesus is our high priest. We've seen that the high priest represents us before God. We've seen that this high priest understands it's life because he's been tempted. But we see that this same high priest was faithful to finish and do what he was faithful to his father. Verse 14. Seeing then that we have so great a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Our confession of him as our high priest. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize. That's a double negative which means we have a high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses, because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore... Why? What's the therefore mean? Because we have such a high priest, because we have somebody that when you struggled, we have somebody that when you haven't just doing everything just right, we have somebody when you wake up on one of those days, when you feel like 40 miles of unpaved road when you have one of those days when you just don't feel like you'd amount to anything and you feel like if you would even come into God's presence, you would come in slimy like a worm, on those days, we have a high priest but I've got news for you, on your very best day, on the day when you were walking on water, on the day when you raised five people from the dead, on the day when you prophesied to your neighbor next door on the day when you'd ever there you still need a high priest you still need a high priest because I don't care how good you are I don't care how God used you I don't care, you're still not holy like the Father you're still not pure as He is pure in yourself and in your own deeds so we cannot come to Him in our own strength we cannot come to Him in our own righteousness because our righteousness Paul's righteousness was as filthy rags it's interesting, the longer Paul walked with God, the worse he talked about himself In Ephesians, he called himself the least of all the apostles. But in, 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 in to Timothy, he says, "I'm the chiefest of sinners." His self-image went the other direction. When he looked at himself apart from Christ, the closer you get to the light, the more you see your own defects. And the reason we get discouraged of that is because we're so indoctrinated at developing confidence in ourselves. And the more we see our imperfections, the worse we feel about ourselves. Praise God! Because the worse I feel about myself, the better I feel about Christ. Because everything I've just read you ends within Him. Not in me. We forget those two little words. But they're always in there when God talks about your righteousness, when God talks about your boldness, when God talks about your standing before. Somehow, in some form, those words are in there. In Him, through Him, in Christ, through Him. Because the robe of righteousness you wear isn't yours. The robe of righteousness you wear is His, which He earned, and He freely gave it to you. So we're to have confidence to come because we've been made the righteousness of God. Not me, myself, but the robe I wear. Let us therefore, why? Because we have a faithful high priest. Come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God's telling you to come boldly. Don't take your own temperature and find out how you're doing. Don't check yourself and see how well you're doing. That's looking at you. The devil's number one device, his number one scheme, it was in the garden and it's there today, is to get me looking at me. Let's go over to chapter 10, verse 14. Uh, No, let's go to verse 1. For the law, that's the Old Testament law, having a shadow of the good things to come. What does a shadow do? A shadow gives you some idea of the form of something, but it's not the thing itself. You see the shadow of somebody coming around a corner. You know there's somebody there. You've got some idea of their outline, but the shadow is not them. Well, the law was a shadow of the good things to come. It gave you an idea of it. It was a forerunner, but it wasn't the substance of it. Of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, by the same sacrifices which they continually offer year by year, make those who approach perfect. The word perfect means complete. That doesn't mean without flaw. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. In other words, if the sacrifices under the old covenant made people complete in God's eyes, then they wouldn't have to keep doing it. In fact, part of the reason... Why the priests under the under the tabernacle had to perform those rituals every day was a constant reminder. And if we've studied it before, if if you were in the camp at all, you could tell that those sacrifices were going on because there was the smell of meat burning at about two thousand degrees, twenty four hours a day, while they were camped. Constant reminder that their sins were being paid for. Not only that, in the tabernacle there were no chairs. Because a chair represents the jobs done and now you can sit down. So there was an indication, an implication that the work was an ongoing work. Why? Because the blood of those bulls and goats, the burning flesh of those heifers could never take away forever the sins. They could just cover them over so that God could be involved with them. God could be in relationship with them. But it didn't deal with the problem. Oh, this is good. It dealt with with the sins themselves. But your your sin of whatever you did today, whatever you thought or did or said, whatever you might have done that was wrong, that's the fruit of the sin. That's not the root of it. And so the blood of bulls and goats took care of the fruit of the sin, the deeds that they did. But the root of the sin is self, selfishness, self-centeredness, pride and it couldn't deal with that. So it was offered every day, verse 2. For then, in other words, if it solved the problem, they wouldn't, wouldn't they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would no longer be walking around with a consciousness of sin. Go over to v- verse 14. Now talking about where Christ did. He is the completion of that the fulfillment of it. For by one offering, He, Christ, has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us after these things, saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, said the Lord. Talking about today. I will put their my laws in their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And He adds, Their sin and their lawless deed I will remember no more. For now, where there's remission of these things, there's no longer an offering for sin. So we don't have to complete, continue to make up an offering for our sin because they were paid for once and for all. Therefore, brethren, this is what we wanted to get to, verse 19. Having boldest to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Remember what that holiest was like. That's not the out, that's not the out, you know, the average person couldn't even go within the tabernacle. Only the Levites could. And then of the Levites, only of, the, only of the family, the direct descendants of Aaron could be of the priests themselves and only Aaron or his direct sons could be the high priest. And the priest could go into the outer room which was called the, the holy place. But then there was an inner room. The outer room had the table of showbread, it had the, 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 the altar of incense and it had the golden candelabra, the golden candlestick. And it represented communion with God, fellowship with God. But on the inner room was called the Holy of Holies. And that's literally where the presence of God dwelt in His Shekinah glory over the Ark of the Covenant. And the, only the high priest could go in there one day a year having performed the ritual having performed him the, the, the ritual on the Day of Atonement. And if he made a mistake, he dropped dead. You talk about the pressure of religion. If he, if he hadn't done all his preparation just right, if the turban was crooked, if something was... Why? Because God's perfect and holy... And if he didn't do everything exactly the way God prescribed, he would literally drop dead. There's a tradition, it's not in the Scriptures, it's a tradition that they would tie a rope around him. Because if he didn't come out when he was supposed to, nobody wanted to go in and get his body. (laughs) That was under the Old Covenant. Because I want you to get a picture again, a, a taste of what that, what that presence of God was like. Nothing unholy, the slightest bit of unholiness could enter in there, or it was judged immediately. And the writer of Hebrews saying, because of the sacrifice of Christ, brethren, we have boldness to enter the holiest. That's the room I'm talking about. Why? Not on our own, by the blood of Jesus. By a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. And having been a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near, near to the presence of God, with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, not in myself, not in how faithful I've been, not how strong I've been, full assurance of faith in what Christ has done for me. Full assurance of faith in the blood, in what the blood has done for me. Full assurance of faith in the cross. Now you can understand why Paul says, the only thing I know, the only thing I preach is the, Christ, is the cross. Yes, there's things beyond the cross, but it's all through the cross the power of the cross. And so much of the church today has lost sight of that. It's like we go by it and say, thank you, Jesus, I'm going on into the throne room. But we forget what the cross is because we're going to learn we've got to take up our cross. Ooh. well, We won't get into that right now. Let us enter the, bold, the by the blood of Christ by a new and living way, verse 20, which He consecrated us for the veil, that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near in sincere heart with full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled from a consciousness of evil and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. 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 Now let's go over to 1 John chapter 3 And that's the foundation of our coming to God. Whether it's to have our needs met, whether it's intercession, we are to come with confidence. 1 John chapter 3, verse 19. By this we know that we are of truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. But if our heart, beloved, if our heart, we're talking to believers, if our heart does not condemn us, then we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do those things that are pleasing in His sight. We're talking about confidence before God. So the first thing we see in here is that that we won't have confidence that he's going to answer us if we if our, if there's a lack of confidence in our heart if our con, if our heart condemns us verse 21 excuse me verse 21 beloved if our heart does not condemn us then we have confidence towards god verse 20 tells us if our heart condemns us god's greater than our heart and knows all things there's two things that can come into your heart and we will we'll, we'll, I don't know if we'll do it in this series but at some point on Sunday, we're going to learn about this. What God did is God, God. When when we come to Christ, God takes the law that was written on those stone commandments, and now He writes them in our heart. It's not that the law went away; it's written in a different place. It's now written in your heart, in your conscience. See, the requirement of a new t- of a Christian is actually higher than it was under the Old Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, it was written on stone tablets, and they obeyed it outwardly. So if they, as long as they did the outward things right, they didn't sin. Their attitude inside could stink. But in the, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus announces a change. He announces that the, what God's looking at is not what we do outwardly. He's taking it to another level. That's why he's saying, you know, you can can smile at your brother all you want, but if you're holding enmity in your heart against him, it's as if you committed murder. Murder is not just an outward thing, it's a a hatred in your heart. He talks about uh, adultery is not just something you physically do with your body, but if you lust in your heart... That's adultery because the standards changed. Why has the standard changed? Because God's moved the law from the, from the stone tablets. He's moved the law into our conscience. And what people so often don't understand is that Paul's telling us that the conscience is our God. That's why he says that if you, if you entice a brother to do something that violates his conscience, even though you know it's not wrong in God's sight, you've enticed him to sin because you enticed him to violate his own conscience because it's violating your conscience that's sin. Why? Because God's written His law in your heart. So in one sense, when my heart's condemning me, that's telling me, "Uh uh-oh, something's wrong, there's an alarm off, I've got to now address that and deal with it. But the devil knows that also. The devil knows that also, so what he wants to do is he wants to speak into your heart. He wants to speak into your heart, so he wants to condemn you. And here's the difference although the apostle here uses a different word. This is how I keep it straight. When, my, when God's correcting me through my heart, the Bible calls that conviction. When the devil atta- is, is attacking me, he's condemning me. And I have time to get into all of this tonight. We'll probably pick up on this next time. But the point is this. God, first of all, it starts with having confidence before God, not because I've been perfect, but confidence before God because Christ has been perfect. And because I've put my faith in Him, and i put my trust in His faithfulness, and i put my trust in His righteousness, He has given me His righteousness. Because the very fact that even if you have sinned, that you can come before God and confess it and talk to Him about it, is because you're wearing Christ's robe of righteousness. The very fact that you can come, that's what chapter 4 is talking about, is therefore, come boldly to the throne of grace that you may receive mercy and help. When do you receive mercy and help? When you made a mistake, when you blown it. You need mercy and help when you've done something wrong, when your heart's convicting you. That's the time. Don't walk and carry it around. Bring it to the cross. Bring it to the cross. I had something happen today. I got mad at somebody today. And the first thing I did before I went to them and get it straight, I went to the cross. I went to get it right with God. And then I went to get it right with that person. Because just to get it right with the person and get it right with God is to still miss it. There's a reason why King David's repentance lasted. Because the first words out of King David's mouth when he realized what he'd done is he said, I've sinned against my God. It was between God and him. I've hurt my God. I've sinned against my God. Yes, he'd sinned against Bathsheba. Yes, he'd sinned against his family. Yes, he'd sinned certainly against Uriah. He'd sinned against all, of, but he primarily had sinned against his God and his heart was pierced. Confidence before God starts with realizing that our confidence is only ever based on the righteousness of Christ that he paid for and then gave to us. And then when we have things in our heart that aren't right, and we'll look at those, then we need to come to God and confess those to Him and get them right. And the only way you can do that is because Christ has given you His righteousness so that you can still come even when you're dirty on the inside, even when you've been walking in the mud, even when you failed. You can still come to Him with confidence because that's the only place to go when you've messed up people, our flesh's instinct is when we have messed up is to run away from God. That's exactly what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to try to deal with it on your own because you're never on your own. If you're out there and you're not going to God with your sin, if you're not going to God with your failures, if you're not going to God with those things, then you're trying to handle them on your own and you're you're an easy target for the devil to condemn you. And what he wants to do is, because he goes on in Hebrews here and says, don't forsake the assembling together of the brain. There are people in here, I don't mean here right now, there are people in this church that have committed sin and because of that, they've left the church. The only place that can help them. The only place that can restore them and and strengthen them and because they're ashamed or afraid, whatever it is, they've left the church, they've stopped coming. They're trying to handle their guilt on their own and the devil has got them in a corner and he's going to tear them apart. We need to pray for people like that. Don't don't walk away from God, don't run away from God. Pray more when you're struggling. Don't pray less. But every instinct of our flesh. See, again, we comes back. We started. We go by how we feel. I don't feel confident before God. That's when you pull the scriptures. I cannot tell you the times I have taken Hebrews four and started my prayer. God, I'm coming to you with confidence in my High Priest, not in myself. When I'm feeling weak or feeling discouraged, I come to him with confidence in my high priest. But when I'm feeling great and I'm on top of things, I still come to him with confidence in my high priest who is faithful. He's faithful to you. He's faithful to you on the top of the mountain. He's faithful to you down in the valley. He's faithful to you when you're doing succeeding and he's faithful to you when you failed. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Our faithful high priest who's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He's touched with the feelings of your infirmities because he's been tempted in all ways just as you and I are. He must know what it's like to be tempted with discouragement. He must know what it's like to be tempted to to get... He had a lot of reason to be discouraged just even on his own staff. And yet he was faithful. And therefore, he can be a merciful and faithful high priest. Run to Jesus. Don't run away from him. Let's pray. Father, only you know where each of us are tonight in our walk with you. But one thing we do know is that wherever we are, we can come to you with confidence not because of how we feel, but simply because of your word that you've given to us so that we can come boldly to pray, boldly to ask you, boldly to intercede, boldly to get things right in our lives, boldly to pray for other people to get things right. You want us to come to you. Even when when our hands are dirty, to come because you're our Father and you love us. And you love us so much, not that you look the other way, but you paid for the sin so that we can come to a Father who can forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and set us back on our walk again. Father, whatever it is that are in our own lives tonight, right here, we just take a moment right now in the quietness of this time with the music lightly playing in the background whatever that issue is that's in our hearts right now Father if it's conviction something we just know is wrong we bring that to you right now and ask you to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness we may walk free again free in your presence free in that boldness father if what this is in our hearts is not your spirit convicting us but the enemy trying to condemn us and beat us down help us to recognize that that's what it is in the name of Jesus right now we rebuke that we resist you Satan and the word of God says that when we resist you you must flee and we cast that thing off In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, that when we walk from here tonight, we can walk from here with our hearts free and open to you to come into your presence at any time we want. We thank you for that amazing privilege, that amazing grace.